And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter, joined as always by John Paulson of 4for4.com. John, busy NFL draft. Uh, I thought it was exciting throughout. I, I watched damn near every pick, and uh, I always enjoy the draft, and I, there's always storylines that pop up, and uh, as we'll get into, Kyler Murray goes number one overall, so there was a storyline right away. And of course, Josh Rosen was traded on the second day to the Miami Dolphins. But first and foremost, how, you, how are you doing, and uh, did you enjoy the draft as well? I'm not doing bad. I survived the draft. I survive it every year. It's uh, trying to keep up with all the skill position picks and then write a new take on the player's opportunity and outlook for 2019. It's draining, but I, you know, I survived. I survived, <laughs> I survived the weekend. It's draining work, but it's your life. You love it. Yeah. There you go. Uh, tell us about the music, and then we'll dive into a couple of articles, and then we'll get uh, deeper into the draft. Well, I'll say this, Anthony. Anyone who listened to us, uh, our podcast at the scores report, the dozens of people that listened uh, back in 2005 will recognize uh, Battle Without Honor or Humanity. They might also recognize it from a little film called Kill Bill Volume 1, uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, film. It was one of the main tracks of that soundtrack. Uh, it's uh, written by uh, Tomoyasu Hotai, and uh, they recorded it back in 2004. You can, of course, find it on uh, Spotify and all your music services, but uh, it, we use that as our uh, theme music for our first podcast back at the Scores Report, and I think I also featured it uh, at a 444 uh, podcast as well, but I thought we'd just do a little throwback today and, um, to, to that song to kind of get us a little misty-eyed as we head into our uh, <laughs> post-draft podcast. Yeah, to the five people that listen to that podcast, we, we can't thank you enough. Uh, Mom, Dad, we appreciate it. Uh, look how far we've come. Yeah, so, uh, and, and just funny side story on that. So I think that was just really an NFL podcast, and John was the host, and I was kind of in the quote-unquote analyst chair. So that was that was interesting to kind of think back on those days. I don't I can't remember how many podcasts we wound up doing, but uh, I, think, I think the most accurate podcast uh, is definitely – that podcast on steroids. I think this is this is much better. Yeah, I think we I think we surpassed the listenership on our first episode for four for four. <laughs> All right, today we're going to be talking about the draft and which rookies might make a big fantasy impact in 2019. But before we do that, we should talk about opportunity. Let's start with vacated targets, Don. So, do you want to explain your article at four for four dot com using vacated targets to identify opportunity? What is what is this, and how can fantasy uh, owners and fantasy drafters or anybody really how can they how can they use this tool to help identify opportunity well this is something that other people have studied in the past and i would on a yearly basis kind of look at their work and and try to leverage it for my own uses in terms of what's uh which teams have opportunity at which positions but this year i thought i would go through and calculate uh, vacated targets vacated touches myself and see if i could really add anything to the process um if, if it identified some teams that otherwise wouldn't be identified and there are some there are some teams like Pittsburgh for example with targets uh Antonio Brown getting traded to the uh the Raiders obviously you know 160 something targets that he vacated there in Pittsburgh there's opportunity there so that's kind of an obvious one and they obviously popped up in our uh in my study so but there are also other ones other teams that maybe weren't quite as obvious um and we can get into that a little bit later but uh, I thought that was good for, from that standpoint. It always got me got me thinking about, uh, you know, do I include week seventeen? Do I look at this on a, a year, a full year basis? Do I look at total targets vacated, or do I try to look at it on a a, a per game basis? And so I kind of made some decisions on that, and I got uh, you know a study that I'm really comfortable with and and can use when I'm looking at these draft picks or if I'm looking at free agent acquisitions in terms of how much usage is actually available. Okay. So when I'm looking at this and I'm scrolling down and I'm seeing, I'm seeing the names for somebody that hasn't used the tool yet and they haven't uh, checked out, you know, have, have really dove into the article. When you list vacated targets per game, for example, Dante Moncrief, uh, Pittsburgh, 15 and then you've got vacated targets percentage 35.7 just one more time how how can how can fantasy owners read that and and use that uh to their advantage 
Yeah, so basically with Jesse James leaving and Antonio Brown leaving, uh, there's 15 targets per game up for grabs in Pittsburgh. So that, and that represents 36% of their total targets. Uh, they, they were pretty high on volume last year, so that percentage is a little bit lower than some of the other teams at the top of the table. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're looking at James Washington. You're looking at Dante Moncrief. They, they also drafted a receiver to try to pick up the slack. You're looking at Vance McDonald. Uh, I think Juju Smith-Schuster already was 160-plus targets, so he's probably not – doesn't have a lot of room to grow. And so you, you kind of look at that, and you're like, okay, well, uh, you know, four targets here, six targets there, and we're just kind of breaking up what's what's available. So, you know, Oakland came in at the top at 23.3 targets available. They signed Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams. I think those two players will probably eat up most of those targets. Uh, you know, Jared Cook was one of the guys that left, so they're going to have to find a t- – you know, they drafted a tight end, but they're going to have to, you know – shuffle some targets over the tight end as well. Baltimore, uh, 19.2 vacated targets, but that's a little bit misleading because half of that was with Joe Flacco. Half the season was with Joe Flacco and his 40-plus pass attempts um, at quarterback. So the, the number is actually probably about half of that with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. So uh, just keep that in mind. I, I wrote about that lower down in the article. And one of the teams that kind of jumped out that I wasn't expecting was the Jacksonville Jaguars, 16.7 vacated targets. Uh, T.J. Yeldon uh, left, Moncrief left, and that has opened up some opportunity there for D.D. Westbrook, uh, Marquise Lee, Keelan Cole, D.J. Shark. Um, so how are they going to divvy up those those targets? Uh, Tampa Bay was kind of an obvious one with Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys leaving, 14.9 targets there. You'd think that Chris Godwin, uh, O.J. Howard, uh, are the primary beneficiaries there. Uh, New England, 14.4 targets Uh with you know, I'm not. I'm right now. I'm not counting Josh Gordon as coming back, but Chris Hogan's gone, uh, Robert Gronkowski's gone. So, uh, you know, we're heading into the draft, I was thinking that the, the Patriots might draft a receiver, and they did. So those are the, the the top teams, and you can also look at the bottom of the chart or the bottom of the table and see some teams that really didn't have many vacated targets, but then they added a receiver. So. Cleveland, for example, 2.9 vacated targets, but they added Odell Beckham. So what does that mean uh, for everybody else there? Right. Uh, Jarvis Landry is going to get pinched. Uh, David Njoku is going to get pinched. And Antonio Callaway is going to get pinched for their targets. So their outlook is not as good with Odell Beckham there. Uh, Tennessee with 1.9 vacated targets. Uh, Adam Humphreys, they signed you know six, seven targets per game for Tampa, and they signed him to a pretty good, pretty good contract. So he's going to pinch... Uh, Corey Davis and Jelani Walker is coming back. So uh, you can kind of see where the, the pies, you know, the people are going to be fighting over the pie, and then you're going to also see where there's extra slices of pie for, for people to, to eat. And uh, I think that helps me with the projection process going into uh, going into the early spring and summer. And if you're listening to this right now, you don't have the article in front of you. John does an excellent job of breaking down what the numbers mean. He Because, he, look, some of a lot of this, there's there's a bit of an art form to it. You can look at the numbers, but – how do you view those numbers and then extract it and use that information to your advantage? Well, John kind of lays that out for you. Um, moving on here, let's, let's let's move on to touches. You also studied vacated touches. So which teams have an opportunity specifically at the running back position after diving into the numbers? Yeah, it was basically the same process. I went through into targets and I was like, okay, this, this worked out pretty well. I'm going to do it for touches as well. I uh, just think this is good information to have. And there were some obvious ones that jumped out at the top. KC. Uh, 18.7 vacated touches uh, with uh, Kareem Hunt uh, being cut. And, you know, Dam- uh, Damian Williams looks like the primary beneficiary there, but they also signed Carlos Hyde. Uh, they did not draft a running back, I don't think, until very late or if they did at all. Uh, Oakland, 18.2 vacated touches. They obviously looked at the running back position uh, in the draft. The Jets had 17.0. Uh, they signed Le'Veon Bell. Chicago has 17 uh, vacated uh, touches uh, with Jordan Howard leaving. Um, they signed Mike Davis and drafted a running back. Uh, Jacksonville, 16.8. To, this is again, the Jacksonville Jaguars popped up with TJ Yeldon leaving, um, Carlos Hyde leaving. Uh, this bodes well for Leonard Fournette in terms of overall workload heading into this season. Uh, Baltimore had some touches. Atlanta has some touches uh, with Tevin Coleman leaving. That looks like, uh, you know, Edo Smith is probably going to be the primary beneficiary there. Miami had 11.9 uh, touches vacated per game. Frank Gore leaving. They really didn't um, add much in the running game in the draft. I think it was a couple late-round uh, running backs. 
11.9 touches there, so that bodes well for uh, Kenyon Drake or Kalen Balaj, if whoever you prefer there. So that you know kind of outlines the top um, 10 or so teams in terms of vacated touches. On the, on the other end, Tennessee, Denver, uh, Chargers, all their touches are expected to be back in terms of having zero vacated touches. So any any players those teams add. Um, you're going to put the pinch on those remaining players. So those are the, those are the types of teams that I'm looking at in the draft. Are they adding a running back? For example, Indianapolis, 0.6 vacated touches. Uh, you know, you're looking at Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines. Uh, how are they going to be affected by the draft? And, and the Colts did not draft, draft a running back, so it bodes well for them. All right, let's talk about impact rookies now. Can you talk a little bit about how you approach rookies in your rankings and on draft day? Because I think a lot of fans... Uh, that play fantasy football they're attracted to the rookies they want to try to find that diamond in the rough that's going to have this big season but I know you're often just in general terms you're often cautious when it comes to rookies especially at certain positions yeah I think uh you know prior to the draft there's some good value at, at with the rookie class and if you especially like a guy like Josh Jacobs who was the consensus number one running back I just did a an ADP check on him. I tweeted it out. He was going pick uh, sixty one in the couple weeks prior to the draft, so he was going as like a early sixth round pick, late fifth round pick. And once he landed with the Raiders, uh, he's now going with pick forty four. So those best ball drafters who who took him in, in April in the sixth round got about uh, in a round and a half of of equity because uh, his stock rose because he landed with a team that had a lot of vacated targets and needs needs a running back. So uh, I think prior to the draft, there's some value. And I think after the draft, I think the running backs tend to get a little bit overvalued. Uh, so you have to watch closely uh, the camp battles uh, before pulling the trigger on some of these players. But, you know, a grand total of 27 rookies uh, over the past six seasons have offered up uh, starter caliber numbers in half PPR format. So they finished top 12 quarterback or tight end or top 24 running back and wide receiver. So you're looking at like four and a half, uh, rookies per year that finish with starter numbers. But some of these players, like Alvin Kamara, who's a surprise stud, uh, kind of took advantage of the Adrian Peterson trade that happened you know, week four of that season and ended up being a league winner for a lot of his um, his owners. So you have to pay attention to some of these running backs that are maybe the teams trade up for or they're having very good off-seasons. Um, and uh, maybe target those players if they're if their values in those middle rounds of the draft. Let's break down specific position by position now. Let's talk about these rookies. We'll dive in deep, share some thoughts. I can I can provide some thoughts just from a a real football standpoint, and then you can kind of discuss the fantasy impact. So let's start right out right at the top of the draft. Uh, one of the worst kept secrets was that the Cardinals was going we're going to take Kyler Murray. I just just a brief aside here. I I don't understand why. But outside of building up the drama, if you knew you were going to take Kyler Murray, why you would sabotage Josh Rosen's trade value? Because when when it was time for the Cardinals to deal Rosen, teams weren't buying that Steve Kime, the general manager, were going to, was going to keep two two quarterbacks. So uh, the Dolphins wound up trading back several times in the second round. You wound up getting the worst possible second round pick that you could have from from the Dolphins. They they being the Cardinals. Why why they didn't trade Rosen before that, I, I don't know, but I digress. They did take Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick. He's listed at 5'10", 207. The biggest knock on him is obviously his size. But I will say this, John, if you're gonna if you're gonna run you know, if you're gonna have Kyler Murray, you you benefit from, you know, having Cliff Kingsbury's air raid spread as your offense. And Kingsbury's gonna have to adapt a little bit to the NFL game. But Murray slides in perfectly into Cliff Kingsbury's system. Now, they did draft a wide receiver. They tried to basically get the surrounding cast better around Murray. But this is still an issue for for Arizona. The running aspect is there. Again, the offense seems to be a fit from a fantasy standpoint. Where are you on Murray? Well, I have a... You, you, you broke down the Arizona Cardinals decision on the draft and, and when to try to trade Rosen very well, so I won't add anything to that. Uh, they drafted actually drafted two receivers fairly early, Andy Isabella and Nakeem Butler, 
to add to Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk. Uh, they also have Chad Williams on the roster, although they, there's been some scuttlebutt that he might be moved. Um, but this, so this, it's very interesting receiving core because Kirk, Isabel, and Butler are all you know first or second year players, and then you have Larry Fitzgerald, who is the grizzled vet, one of the greatest all, of all time. Um, I really. I'm looking at Isabella as a really good dynasty prospect. And it's just basically through my discussions with uh, Kevin Zaluko, who's our, he, he's a contributor at four for four. He's a con- computer science uh, grad. I believe he went to MIT, extremely smart guy. Um, and he's got models, a uh, wide receiver model, running back model that predict uh, chances of success in the first three seasons. And Isabella uh, came in, I believe is the number two, uh, running our wide receiver in his model. So he's going to go into more detail in his own articles on that. Um, but that bodes very well, uh, for, for him. Uh, a lot of it's based on college production and, um, Isabella went to UMass. Is that correct? Yes. So, you know, he wasn't playing the best competition. So the little, he might be a little bit inflated there, but his, his, um, measurables are also very good as well. I look at him, you know, learning from Fitzgerald in the slot, uh, and you know, having a very good uh, career, especially in year two, three, four, we'll see how he does as a rookie. Anyway, back to Murray. Uh, I have a model myself that I use to give me a starting point for qu- rookie quarterbacks when they come in. Uh, you know, I don't know a whole lot about them. I, I do study a bit, and then I look at their numbers and, and this model, and it gives me a starting point for what, what sort of um, uh, projections to, to give them based on what rookie quarterbacks have done in the past with relation to their college stats. So Murray comes in with the highest projected touchdown percentage, uh, the highest projected yards per attempt, the third highest projected rushing yards, and the fourth highest projected rushing touchdowns in the 42-player sample that I have, uh, rookie quarterback sample. Uh, his, his passing numbers in the same system as Baker Mayfield uh, are eerily similar to Mayfield's numbers, and he's a much better runner. So we'll see if he's able to you know, translate and, and the height's a problem or, and all that. But I, I think that Russell Wilson is a good model for him. He's going to a team that's going to be built around his skill set. Uh, my concern with this team is they've really done nothing to improve their offensive line. Mm-hmm. They were 26 in football uh, outsiders adjusted sack rate. And if they can't protect uh, uh, Murray, then he's going to have a tough time uh, posting fantasy points. But assuming that they – realize that this is an issue that needs to be addressed and they improve this line and maybe get into the, the teens in this, in this stat, uh, then uh, he should have a good season. I think he'll be definitely be in the streaming conversation. He has an outside chance at QB one numbers. So Washington stayed with pick number 15. They were patient and seemingly they got the quarterback that they wanted in Ohio state's Dwayne Haskins. Thank you, Dave Gettleman, the Giants general manager who not only passed on Josh Allen, a, a potential stud edge rusher. And I, I'm going to use the word potential a lot in the podcast because, look, we don't know. Uh, but Josh Allen was you know, expected to go in the top five. He was there for the taking, and the Giants wound up with Daniel Jones. Uh, if you watch any of the, the YouTube clips or any, any of the gifts on the, the Giants fans like freaking out, it's, it's a lot of fun. We've all been there as fans of our respected teams. But let's get back into Haskins, John. I think... I think he's a perfect fit for Jay Gruden's offense. I've I've got a bit of a caveat that I'll get to in a second, but when you're when when you're thinking of the West Coast offense, it's built around short and intermediate passes. But with Jay Gruden, he's willing to take those shots downfield. Dwayne Haskins has got a big arm. He's not going to run around a lot. He stays in the pocket. He was accurate in his first year at Ohio State. I think that with all the post routes and corner routes and double moves that Jay Gruden likes to implement in his West Coast scheme, again, Dwayne Haskins is, is a really nice fit. Here's the caveat. It, it can be an extremely offense to get right away. It, it has taken veteran quarterbacks a couple of years to understand the offense. So with Dwayne Haskins, this is no knock on him. It, I would say this about any quarterback entering this offense. It may take a couple of years before we see Dwayne Haskins truly get comfortable, which in my eyes would, uh, John, it it would certainly sidetrack his development as a fantasy player as well, or his impact as a fantasy player. Yeah, and for, you know, as as much as I like Keller Murray as a fantasy value, you know, in the 20s, uh, the high teens at the quarterback position, uh, I think Haskins, the, the, the snaps will be there, the playing time will be there, but you're looking at his 
receiving core, and it's not pretty. Josh Dotson has failed to live up to his potential. Uh, they've got Trey Quinn, Michael Floyd, Brian Quick at, at receiver. The best receiver is their tight end, who's injured all the time, Jordan Reed. Um, they did draft Terry McLaurin, at, so we'll have to see how he does. He didn't fare very well in uh, Kevin's at Lucal's model. Um, so this receiving core has a lot of work to do in order to give Haskins the weapons necessary for him to be a, a quarterback starter or even a streamer. He did fare well in my quarterback model. Uh, he was number eight in projected completion, completion percentage, number seven in projected touchdown percentage, and number 14 in projected yards per attempt out of four, the 42 player sample. So that's not bad at all. Uh, I just agree with you that it may not be year one where he's, uh, you know, pushing f- for starter numbers. I think they need another receiver or two there to to give him the, the weapons comparable to some of those other quarterbacks. Let's talk about running backs now. We'll start off with Josh Jacobs, who was selected with the number 24 overall pick uh, by the Raiders. And Mike Mayock said that he views Josh Jacobs as as a three down back. I think on on paper, John, this, this is a, a really nice fit as well. Gruden also runs a West Coast offense, but you know, despite what you saw a little bit last year, that offense was a mess because of personnel. He prefers a power running game. He prefers a fullback. He prefers multiple tight ends. And if the Raiders are viewing Josh Jacobs as a three-down back, and he does have the size to be, you know, a pretty good pass blocker as well, this could be uh, an excellent fit. And um, and you could you could wind up getting a pretty good value. Uh, from a from a fantasy standpoint how do you view Josh Jacobs yeah this is the most obvious fantasy storyline coming out of the draft in terms of like okay who's who's rising or who's going to be the highest valued uh, rookie uh, in fantasy drafts I think it's obviously Josh Jacobs Uh, as I mentioned he's now going in the fourth round I think his his ADP could creep into the third round if he has a really good offseason but he's probably going to be like one of these early fourth round picks that you can get near the three, four turn, uh, just from, okay, here's the vacated touches, 18.2 per game. And here's a first round rookie running back going to that team. And he's got uh passing pass catching ability as well as being able to run the ball. Uh, his, the knock on him is that he wasn't a big, a big workload guy at Alabama. Um, I'm not too worried about that, uh, given the way that the draft Knicks, you know, talk about his ability and, uh, everything he's going to have to prove that he can, pull up to the workload, but uh, the opportunity is everything in fantasy, so I'd rather roll the dice on somebody that's going to get the touches than roll on somebody that's really durable but isn't going to get the touches. Uh, and then there's this like notion that uh, John Gruden does not like to have a feature back or have a bell cow back, and then I went back and looked at his offenses from 1998 to 2007. Napoleon Kaufman, 242 touches. Tyrone Wheatley, back-to-back seasons, 252, 263 touches. Charlie Garner, 283 touches. Michael Pittman, three straight seasons of 260-plus touches. Cadillac Williams, 310 touches and 255 touches. Ernest Graham in 2007, 271 touches. So over the course of this uh, time span, I guess a 10-year time span, his lead back averaged 266.1 touches per season and 14.7 games played, and that works out to 18.1 touches per game for Gruden's top running back. And look at that. He's got, they've got 18.2 touches vacated uh, from last season by uh, Marshawn Lynch and Doug Martin. So you can easily slot Jacobs into that role and, and see him with a 250 to 280 touches as a rookie. Now, the one caveat, I had a caveat for Kyler Murray with the offensive line. The caveat, I think, with with Jacobs is that Jalen Richard is there. They also signed Isaiah Crowell, who's been pretty good uh, as far as free agent available type running backs. Uh, you know, his yards per carry is pretty, is pretty good, and he's not a bad player. So uh, Jacobs is going to have to have it. They're not going to hand him the job. He's going to have to beat out those two players, uh, Crowell as the main runner. And then Richard as the passing down back because Richard showed some good ability as as a receiver. You know, Jacobs won't live up to his potential or live up to that fourth round ADP if he's not on the field uh, on third downs and he's not catching 30, 40, 50 uh, passes. So this is, you definitely want to watch in OTAs and and in training camp his progress, uh, you know, in this uh, camp battle with Crowell and with Richard for, for all these snaps. So this one's interesting. You got Miles Sanders winding up with the Eagles. Now, 
Jordan Howard is there. Wendell Smallwood is there. Corey Clement is there. Uh, Pumphrey, they drafted in 2017. He was a fourth-round player, more of a more of a gadget guy. The Eagles haven't committed to a player like Miles Sanders early in the draft uh, at any point. So Howie Roseman, since Howie Roseman got there, again, Miles Sanders has been the highest-rated running back that, that that he has taken. So you would think, John, that the Eagles will rely heavily on Sanders, but you've got all of these players there. How do you how do you kind of sift through whether or not Miles Sanders will become a focal point at at some point during the season? Well, Doug, Doug Peterson just hasn't gone to a lead back or a bell cow back, so you just need to realize that this is probably going to be some sort of committee. Uh, Howard Jordan Howard is not good in the passing game, and Miles Sanders is is good in the passing game. Uh, so you could see a one two punch with these two players. You could also see Wendell Smallwood, Corey Clement. Uh, on the field uh, as well. So this is going to be kind of an ugly situation. You really need to have, like Sanders needs to have just an outstanding camp in order to, to turn in lead back, you know, 15, 18 touches per game in this offense. I just think it's it's more likely that they're going to divvy up this workload amongst several guys. Here's, here's a player right now that we know what the role is going to be, but it could expand based on a situation that we saw uh, unfold back in January and then in February. That, that situation is in L.A. with Daryl Henderson, who was drafted by the Rams, who traded up for him, t- took him with the number 70 uh, overall pick. Henderson, if you watch him in Memphis, dynamic player, 8.2 yards per carry in his junior year. He's a smaller back, 5'8", 208, but he's explosive. And the Rams drafted him to be the complement to Todd Gurley. But as we know, John, Todd Gurley, when he came back from injury last year, wasn't the same guy. I don't care what Gurley said. I don't care what Sean McVay said. The fact that they were leaning on... Um, C.J. Anderson. See, Thank you, C.J. Anderson, throughout the playoffs and then the Super Bowl. That's all we need to know. So with Henderson, I, I think it's interesting. I don't know how much fantasy impact he's going to have at the start of the year, but he would be on my radar the deeper we get into the 2019 NFL season. Yeah, this this is a very – it was kind of an eyebrow-raising moment. I guess it shouldn't be so much with what Gurley struggled with um, towards the end of the year uh, with his knee. And, you know, he has arthritis in his knee, so this is going to – probably be an ongoing thing with him. Uh, Henderson is definitely somebody that should be drafted in that, in those later rounds, if he's available, I'm very interested to see where his ADP lands with Gurley being such a stud and being a, you know, first round pick, where do fantasy owners value his likely backup? You know, Henderson finished second in Zet Lukel's running back uh, model, 50% chance of, of, having success within the first three years. Josh Jacobs finished with 60, like 62%. So uh, the model really likes Henderson to, to do well. If if Gurley falters, misses six games or something, or is injured for the season, Henderson could really blow up. And uh, I think that's something the fantasy owners need to pay attention to in those later rounds because I think the casual fans can be like, well, Gurley's, you know, he's fine. They say he's fine. Uh, you know, I don't need to draft his backup or his backup isn't worth anything because Gurley gets such a big workload. I think this could be the season uh, where, you know, maybe Gurley continues to struggle with that knee injury and Elson Henderson blows up. The Bears took David Montgomery and obviously they traded Jordan Howard to the Eagles. We just got done talking about Howard. So David Montgomery is, is viewed as a three down back. You have Tariq Cohen there. Cordell Patterson is also in the mix. Tariq Cohen, I know that Rich Campbell of Chicago, the Chicago Tribune speculated that Tariq Cohen could see fewer carries in 2019. More of a joystick player, Cordell Patterson is also somebody that can be utilized on jet sweeps and things like that. I, I, I don't think he's going to have much of an impact. Uh, but with Matt Nagy running things, he runs a similar offense to Doug Peterson in Philadelphia. It's a, it's a West Coast offense, but they, they utilize a lot of concepts from college, jet sweeps, run pass options, but they like to run inside zone a lot too, which is where David Montgomery could come into play. I think David Montgomery, while they'll utilize all three backs, Montgomery could see a fair amount of touches in the running game next year, John. Yeah, and I look at this as a battle between Montgomery and Mike Davis, who they signed, uh, I believe, before the Jordan Howard trade. Uh, I think they like Davis as the thunder to Tariq Cohen's lightning, if you will. But 
drafting Montgomery really is going to create a job, a camp battle between Montgomery and Davis uh, for that role. I don't know if they'll play all three running backs, you know, regularly. I think, you know, one of those two will probably win the job uh, and compliment uh, Tariq Cohen as a, you know, as you mentioned, the joint, uh, the joystick type player. I think Cohen's role is pretty stable and he's kind of a unique player and he's going to continue to have that role in that offense. De- uh, uh, Devin Singletary was drafted by the Bills, number 74 overall pick. Now this one's interesting too because you've got a ton of running backs there for Buffalo. Shady McCoy is still viewed as the lead back, but Frank Gore signed there. They got TJ Yeldon. And Singletary had a, a very poor combine, only ran a 4.6640. He's drawn some comparisons to Jaquiz Rogers. There, it, this doesn't really seem like Singletary is going to make a big fantasy impact for the Bills. Yeah, they, they may have tabbed him as the um, the running back of the future, but for now, he's they signed Frank Gore, they signed TJ Yeldon, LaShawn McCoy is still there. So this death chart is going to have to clear up uh, for Singletary to get a chance, or he's going to have to have such a great camp that he's like all of a sudden jumping ahead of these players who have so much more experience than him. And, and Buffalo went out of their way to go sign Gore and Yeldon before the draft. Uh, they must have had a reason to do that, uh, but we'll see if those players are on the still on the team in August because you know they could easily cut one or both uh, depending on how much guaranteed money they gave them and uh, you know how much they want to keep that running back depth heading into the season. We don't have to spend much time, I'm sure, on Bryce Love. He he's, he tore his ACL last year. He's aiming for returning to training camp, maybe maybe midway through. But you got Chris Thompson there. You got Darius Geis there. You got Adrian Peterson. So there's really no rush for the for Washington to bring back Bryce Love. But he is a decorated college player that maybe you want on your your radar if if those other three backs don't don't pop uh, toward the end of the year. Yeah, he had about you know twenty five percent chance in Zach Lucas' model to have a, a you know a success in the first three years. Uh, I, I have to ask Kevin if he's just looking primarily at the senior season because he had such a great junior year and won the Doak Walker Award. Uh, he was in his senior season; he was dealing with ankle injuries and then also tore his ACL uh, in December. So I'm not looking at 2019 as being a, a big year for him. Uh, although it's possible that he could recover and be more of, of use in, in August. Uh, Darius Geis has definitely not had the off season that I want to hear in terms of his recovery. He's had, uh, I think, two or three additional procedures uh, on his knee. And uh, he, it, it sounds like they're targeting uh, training camp for him, but that doesn't, I, I, I hate that word targeting because it just sounds like there's going to be delays and he's not going to be ready for the start of the season. And then on top of that, they re-signed Adrian Peterson um, to, you know, to shore up the position for uh, on a two-year deal. So uh, I think Geis's dynasty stock took a hit when that happened, and uh, so it's a little bit. I think they're taking a couple, you know, a gamble, rolling the dice on a couple of talented backs with injury issues, and hoping that one of them is ready to go for 2020. Let's move on to wide receivers. Nikhil Harry was drafted by the Patriots. This is another offense that's very complex, but with the situation that New England has at the wide receiver position, I would assume that he's going to see some playing time if he if he proves that he can handle such a dynamic playbook. Uh, maybe Harry doesn't pop off in the first couple of months of the season, but somebody, again, to watch in the second half. Yeah, Zet Luco likes him, or his model likes him. Uh, 75% chance uh, of uh, having success in the first three years. I'm really looking forward to Kevin's articles, and they'll go into more detail about his model. And, and he keep, continues. What I like about him is that he continues to test and improve his models as, as uh, he gets more data. Uh, but this is obviously a great situation. Uh, Tom Brady is not the thrower that he once was. But the 14.4 targets that I mentioned earlier in terms of opportunity uh, that are up for grabs there really bodes well for Harry. Uh, you know, Julian Edelman can take some more uh, workload. Uh, they re-signed Philip Dorsett. Uh, Josh Gordon is still sort of out there as a possibility of coming back. Uh, but, you know, Harry being the, uh, the last pick in the first round, the Patriots are making a statement with that with that pick that they that was a need that they needed to fill. And... Um, he should have every opportunity to play and, and be on the field uh, and maybe be the second option in the passing game after after Julian Edelman. We'll have to see how he picks up the, 
the playbook and if he's able to earn Tom Brady's trust. But uh, this certainly looks like the best receiver as far as fantasy goes uh, heading into the 2019 uh, offseason summer. So what you just said about uh, Harris could also be implemented too for Mecole Hardman, who was drafted by the Chiefs. We know going into the draft that the audio was, was, was uh, released with Tyreek Hill, and uh, we don't know what the situation is going to be with with Hill. Not to you know minimize the the audio tape and things like that, but but we'll just kind of stick with the the football aspect of it here. We don't know if Tyreek Hill is going to be a Kansas City Chief next year or in the league at all. So Hardman comes in. He was one of the fastest players at the combine, four three three speed. And if Tyreek Hill is likely to be suspended, released, what have you then Hardman's going to see some heavy snaps right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, this is the writing's on the wall here, in my opinion. I mean, maybe they keep find a way to justify keeping Terry Kill. I'm not going to comment on all the drama uh, surrounding that situation, but I'm just looking at it uh, this way. The, the Chiefs took a Terry Kill clone in the second round, 56 pick uh, of the draft. I think they're signaling that they're planning to part ways with Hill or at least acknowledging that there's a good chance that they part ways with Hill. Uh, If that happens, then Hardman is going to see a big role in this offense. I mean, I think Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey will still be the top two uh, target getters in this offense, but Hardman can certainly step in and do a lot of the things that Tyreek Hill was doing. Now he's not quite the athlete that Tyreek Hill is, but he's extremely fast uh, agility and burst are not what Hill has, but he can do a lot of the same things. So, you know, after after Harry, I'm looking at Hardman as the most likely to see a ton of snaps and a big role in a, in a really potent offense. The Ravens took two wide receivers, Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin. Now the Ravens also hired Greg Roman to be their offensive coordinator. Last year they went from pass first to run first once Lamar Jackson took over as their starting quarterback. Greg Roman... I would assume is also going to run a run-heavy offense. So how do you how do you you know uh, factor that in with Brown and Boykin uh, being added to the Ravens wide receiver position? Well, in general, I'm just going to stay away from Baltimore receivers. I don't <laughs> see how they post consistent fantasy starter type numbers. I think Brown has some appeal in in best ball leagues because he's really fast and can catch some long touchdowns. They're going to have to force feed him the ball and make a concerted effort to get him six to eight touches per game uh, to to really capitalize and, and make him a uh, a fantasy factor this year. Lamar Jackson just didn't throw the ball uh, enough to really support much in the passing game. So the other thing that could happen is that he takes a huge step forward as a passer, uh, and maybe this offense is more balanced than we think it's going to be under Greg Roman. Uh, Greg Roman uh, is a big time run game enthusiast. He's a big fan of old school football and he loves to call running plays. Uh, So that doesn't leave a lot in the passing game for Brown uh, or Boykin, although they did clearly prioritize receiver uh, in the draft. So maybe they're trying to surround Jackson with enough weapons so that he can uh, move the ball through the air if he has to as well. I just look at what John Brown was doing with, with Joe Flacco and, and what he did with Lamar Jackson. And I think that's a indicator of what sort of workload and production that Marquise Brown is going to have in this offense. This one's interesting. So Debo Samuel goes to the 49ers. The 49ers also took Jalen Hurd. They're trying to rebuild their wide receiver uh, position. Uh, apparently, they view Debo Samuel as you know a replacement for Marquise Goodwin and somebody that can play opposite of Dante Pettis. Now, Samuel did have hamstring injuries and he fractured a fibula at some po- at uh, one point during his college career at South Carolina. But he also put it all together last year as a senior. He had 210 yards against Clemson's secondary, which was one of the best in the nation. So there's the talents there, and of course with Kyle Shanahan's offense, we know that he can design plays for anybody in his offense. So the 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 scheme is there, the opportunities seem, seemingly are there. I just wonder how they're going to utilize Debo Samuel and whether or not he's going to get enough targets to be fantasy viable next year. Yeah, is he playing 80, 90% of the snaps? Is he seeing 
you know, five, six, seven targets per game. If, if those answers are yes and yes, then you're looking at uh, definitely a fantasy viable receiver, like rosterable uh, and, and possibly a starter. Uh, the th- thing about Pettis is that he's not a high volume guy. He was very productive, you know, on his per catch basis, but he wasn't a giant target getter. Uh, the number one receiver in this offense is George Kittle. Uh, Marquise Goodwin was also a low volume guy. Uh, so Samuel, if he steps into six to eight targets per game, then he's in pretty good shape. But the funny thing is about, about the, uh, is that Lukel's model on, on these two receivers is that it actually shows Hurd, uh, you know, having a better chance, uh, to, to, to have success in the first three years than it does Samuel, um, 45% to 36%. So that's just a little, that's just kind of an oddity in terms of what they, what the model values. Uh, it does value draft pick. Uh, and and also college production, so uh, you can look at his articles when they come out and get more detail on that. Uh, but the the Forty ers did prioritize Samuel over um, over Hurd in this draft. Now the Packers also valued Jamon Moore over Mar- Marquez Valdez Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown uh, last year, and the other the last two guys, I'm not going to try to pronounce their names again, uh, <laughs> played quite a bit more than Moore did. So things, you know, can change from draft day, getting into camp and getting into, um, the season. So, uh, definitely camp battles to watch there in uh, San Francisco at the receiver position. The Titans selected AJ Brown with the number 51, uh, 51st overall pick. He's six one two twenty six. uh, broke Ole Miss's all all time records in receiving yards and, and 100 plus yard games. So very, productive player while at Ole Miss, but I've got big-time questions about the Titans' offense this year. After Matt LaFleur was hired as the head coach by your Green Bay Packers, the Titans stayed in-house and promoted their tight ends coach, uh, Arthur Brown, who has, or, or excuse me, Arthur Smith, who has zero play-calling experience. I don't really know what to expect, not only from Smith, but Marcus Mariota, who's on yet another offensive play caller. So just like you noted with, hey, I'm going to stay away from wide receivers from Baltimore earlier, I think I'm going to do the same thing for the Titans. Yeah, and that's just, you know the vacated targets situation. Uh, 1.9 vacated targets for the Titans, and they added Adam Humphreys and A.J. Brown. So what does that tell you? You know, Corey Davis is under pressure. Delaney Walker back. You know, this is a lot of pass catchers right now, and just not a lot of targets up for grabs. It's hard to like AJ Brown from a situation standpoint. You know, maybe long term he's okay. Uh, Kevin's model liked him as the number three receiver behind Nikhil Harry and Andy Isabella, uh, but he has about a fifty percent chance of having success in the first three years. So, um, I like this pick from a Marcus Mariota standpoint, but I just think that you know pecking order in that in that uh, receiving core is going to be so crucial to, to any of those players really having much fantasy value. Corey Davis was not really a fantasy starter. I mean, people started him because <laughs> they had to, or you know, felt like he was going to. My hands in the air, by the way. Yeah, to break out, and there were games where he was okay. But he wasn't like a legit fantasy starter last year, and that was with Delaney Walker out. Right. So now you're adding Delaney Walker, AJ Brown, Adam Humphreys to this offense. You know who's going to start? Like who's going to be a fantasy starter for this team other than maybe Walker at tight end? Yeah, I mean, I and I love Corey Davis too. I really do. I I, I think I had him in our league. I, I believe I held on to him uh, as as one of my keepers just because one, you know, I, I needed wide receivers. But two, look, the talent is there. I watched him play a lot at Western Michigan. He's He's got the frame, the size, the speed, everything, but I just, I it just not. I don't know if it's a Marcus Mariota issue. I, I like Matt Lafleur as a play caller, but I, I don't. It just didn't mesh in Tennessee. So again, I'm just going to kind of stay away from it. Here's an interesting situation. I feel like I've said that a couple of times now on the podcast, but uh, this is with Doug Baldwin potentially retiring. He's got a serious uh, health in uh, health. He's got a, a serious health issue and doesn't look like he's going to be back. The Seahawks traded up with the Patriots to select Ole Miss wide receiver DK, Met, DK Metcalf with the 64th overall pick. They gave up two selections to move up to get him. Highly pro- productive player in just a ni- 19 career starts at Ole Miss. Fourth, 4.3340, so he's an absolute blazer. But this is another offense, and we've got done talking about Greg Roman in Baltimore, where 
you know, Schottenheimer wants to run the football a lot. And and really, it's Pete, it's Pete Carroll that wants to run the football a lot because Schottenheimer, his roots are with Air Coriel. He wants to go vertical. So if it's more Brian Schottenheimer's offense, DK Metcalf could have a huge impact. And again, I'm assuming he's going to get some, some opportunities with Baldwin likely gone. But we saw last year the Seahawks just want to pound the football with Pete Carroll as their head coach. So what do you make of Metcalf's situation in Seattle, and do you think he could have uh, an, an intri- a, a decent impact as a rookie? Well, some people heading into the draft had Metcalf top of their wide receiver board, and he, we ended up, I don't know, 7th, 8th receiver off the off the board. Um, actually, let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9th receiver off the board, which was you know, a big surprise on draft night. Um, to see him fall that far. Uh, not the greatest route runner, but just a ridiculous uh, speed, uh, straight straight line type speed. So not, you know, you, you, okay, you want to compare him to Tyler Lockett? No, Tyler Lockett can run routes. Metcalf is just kind of a go guy. He probably has three or four routes in his, his route tree. So the, the question is, really, it's Doug Baldwin. If Baldwin's healthy enough to play, He's going to see his six to eight targets per game. It's already a run-oriented offense. I think Tyler Lockett continues to improve. His role doesn't change much, and there isn't much room for DK Metcalf. If Baldwin does retire, now there's you know 90 percent of the snaps at a receiver position available to, to Metcalf, and if he can put it together, uh, he could have a, a fantasy relevant season. I don't think he's going to replace Baldwin in terms of fantasy points, although Baldwin wasn't very good last year, but in previous years he was obviously very good. Um, but Metcalf, if he's on the field playing 89% of the snaps, playing with one of the most efficient per fantasy point per attempt quarterbacks in the history of the league, keep that in mind. You know, Metcalf could four or five targets per game post fantasy starter numbers uh, with, with Russell Wilson throwing to him if everything goes perfectly for him. Since you just got done talking about PK uh, Metcalf, it's DK Metcalf. It's an, it's a perfect transition to Paris Campbell, who was selected with the 59th overall pick by the Colts. He played at Ohio State. Not really a guy that runs a, a, a versatile route tree either. He's somebody that is uh, again extremely fast. He had some uh, returnability. One ran a four three one at the combine, but he runs a lot of short routes. There is a spot for that. Uh, that type of player, there's a role for that player in Frank Reich's offense. They they like to go up-tempo to take advantage of Andrew Luck's ability to command an offense. They, they need somebody there opposite of T.Y. Hilton, but as we saw last year, there's a lot of targets going to the tight end as well. At the end of the day, I just don't see that, that Campbell, while he could make highlight real plays, John, I don't think there's going to be enough targets for him in that offense. Yeah, I mean, this is... In, in some ways similar to Marquise Brown in, in Baltimore, it's just the usage. Is it going to be enough to support a fantasy starter? You know, if there's an injury to T.Y. Hilton or they also added Devin Funchess to this offense, uh, and you also have Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle, who you, if you assume Jack Doyle is going to be healthy this season, you know, maybe Campbell is the fifth option in this passing game uh, after those four guys. So you don't head into the season thinking that he's going to post fancy starter numbers, but he is a talented guy, you know, catching passes from a very talented quarterback uh, with a good offensive coordinator that knows how to use his skills. So, you know, maybe if attrition takes its toll on these, one of these tight ends or Funchess or for Hilton, then all of a sudden Campbell's in a bigger role, but you're looking at him as kind of a prospect player to draft in the 12th round or something like that. Deontay Johnson was taken by the Steelers with the 66 overall pick. He's out of Toledo, uh, turned pro as a redshirt junior after only playing two years at Toledo. Productive guy, didn't really tear up the combine, but one thing that the Steelers have shown repeatedly is that they can find wide receivers. Uh, Antonio Brown was a six-round pick. Obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster is in line to have uh, number number one targets now that Antonio Brown was gone and really he was productive last year so uh but with Johnson not really a, a decorated player doesn't the skill set doesn't stand out but the, the fit could be there and the opportunity could be there yeah and how quickly does he get up to speed and, and try to push James Washington who's my favorite in this offense to pick up most of the slack left by uh, Antonio Brown I think Vance McDonald at tight end is also a candidate to take a big step forward in terms of targets with Jesse James gone and you know extra targets available with Brown gone uh, but I want to see how James Washington is looking this spring. And then relative to uh, Deontay Johnson, uh, how are these two 
battling it out for for snaps opposite uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Terry McLaurin goes to Washington. That's a, that's a player I, I really didn't uh, uh, get a chance to watch that much. Um, but with Jay Gruden's offense, we talked about with him being a, a West Coast scheme, and there's always some underneath routes that are available uh, in, in that offense. Any thoughts on McLaurin winding up with Washington? Well, it's huge opportunity available. We talked about the receiving core there uh, before earlier in the pod, and just not a whole lot of talent as far as I can tell. So, you know, he, he wasn't a favorite of the, of uh, Zet Lukel's wide receiver model, but opportunity is really everything. And he's got a, a, a decent quarterback now, uh, you know, a rookie quarterback there to throw the ball. And if he can step in and, and start, then there's some opportunity there, but it's not something. It's not, this whole passing game is not something I'm excited about in 2019. And then finally, the Eagles took JJ Arcega Whiteside with the number 57th overall pick. Had a pretty decent combine from a 40 time, but uh, apparently the vertical and the broad jumps were very disappointing. Kind of a possession receiver that the Eagles took uh, again with the 56 57th overall pick. And I, you know, I want to correct you before anybody corrects you on. On Twitter, it's Arcega Whiteside. I want everybody to know that Anthony and I were before the podcast. We were searching player pronunciation <laughs> because I know it's crucially important to a handful of people out there that I get every name correct. Correct. So there is a there is a cool uh, site that I found. DraftCountdown.com has an NFL draft pronunciation guide. So we're going to be going off of that. And Arcega we, Whiteside. We do I, we do want to you know we, we want to get as many names right as humanly possible. Just I think what John was saying too is that just just realize we're trying. <laughs> it's we're not we're not trying to hack up any names. I want a virtual pat on the back from everybody that's <laughs> upset about my pronunciation of names of these college players that I let's let's just say I don't watch a lot of college football. <laughs> anyway, um, his situation is not great in Philly. I mean, it may open up for him, uh, but the fact that they took a receiver, much like when they took the running back uh, early, they're adding to a already pretty crowded receiving core. Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson was added to this team uh, this off season with a trade. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, and then you have you know Zach Ertz at tight end who gets a ton of targets, and Dallas Goddard uh, who they drafted early as well. So they continue to add weapons to this offense, and there's only you know targets are finite within an offense, and I don't see how. Our Sega Whiteside, you know, has a fantasy relevant season if the depth chart remains as it is. Uh, he's going to have a lot of work to do, or there's going to be some injuries for him to get that opportunity. Let's move on to tight ends, and uh, we'll we'll kind of wrap it up with some some teams that didn't draft, and we'll kind of go over some some of those names as well. But so the Lions once again take a tight end very high. I know there's a lot of Lions fans that I know. Uh, Josh Moore, uh, our fearless leader. At 444.com, I don't know how he felt about the TJ Hawkinson uh, drafting, especially after Eric Ebron went very high. And they took Eric Ebron ahead of Aaron Donald, who who has been a beast. And some Lions fans wanted the team to take Ed Oliver, who went right after to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, But nevertheless, TJ Hawkinson is supposed to be like this all-world tight end that can play inline, he can play outline, he can catch passes, he can block. Uh, if he's not Rob Gronkowski, I don't know why you don't take why why you take him that high, John. But nevertheless, what do you think about T.J. Hawkinson winding up in Detroit from a, again a fantasy standpoint? Well, M- Marvin Jones is there, Kenny Galladay's there. Uh, you know, obviously they lost uh, Golden Tate. Uh, they traded him away midseason last year, so there's some targets available there. Eric Ebron went and had an All Pro season type season uh, at uh, Indianapolis, so I don't. This, this is a little bit of a strange pick. He is a good all-around tight end. He was being graded as a first-round talent. I know I was talking with Pat Fitzmorris, who's my fellow Packer fan, who I chat with quite a bit on Twitter, and we were thinking that Hawkinson wouldn't be a bad pick at 12 since Jimmy Graham's sort of on his last legs. So, you know, the stock was there. Uh, I just don't know that this offense is going to be pass-heavy enough to support three uh, pass catchers. Uh, I think Jones is going to be good. I think Galladay is going to be good. Uh, Hawkinson may get five to seven targets per game, but I kind of doubt it just given the run heavy tendencies uh, of head coach Matt Patricia, who's a defensive mind and defensive minds tend to want to protect their defenses by running the ball a lot. And uh, Daryl Bevel uh, will likely go along with that. So um, 
I just don't know if the volume is going to be there in this offense to support them. And, and obviously, rookie tight ends generally do not make much of a fantasy impact unless they are thrust into a huge role like Evan Ingram was a, a couple of years ago. Uh, so I, I just don't see the volume being there for Hawkinson. And then finally, the Broncos traded back in the first round with the Steelers, and their first pick was Noah Fant from uh, the, the other tight end from Iowa. And Fant is supposed to be regarded as as more of a, uh, a tight end that you can line up in the slot. Broncos need to add more offensive pieces. Joe Flacco's there, but at some point Drew Locke is is, is expected to take over. Do you see some some targets being available for Noah Fant? Yeah, I think the reason we're talking about Hawkinson and Fan is that these are the players that were highly drafted that probably will see starter snaps, and that's the first step to getting into the tight end one type rankings. But uh, Fan, at best, is going to be the third option in the passing game uh, behind Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton. Uh, so, and, and couple that with the rookie tight ends generally disappoint. Uh, you know, he might be, he and Hawkinson might end up in the streaming conversation if things are going well, or if there's an injury ahead of them. Uh, but there's not somebody I'm going to run out and try to draft on draft day. All right. So let's go over some, some teams here that didn't draft a specific wide res- uh, a, a specific position, I should say. So the Bucks didn't draft the running back. They got Peyton Barber, Jaquiz Rogers, Ronald Jones, Andre Ellington on the roster right now. Your thoughts on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers not drafting a running back. Yeah, this is a little bit up in the air uh there's a little bit of a mystery here as to what the bucks are doing they re-signed and i don't say that in a like uh, critical manner it's just like i'm trying to i'm trying to read the tea leaves here to figure out who they want to start right they re-signed peyton barber who's not that old i think he's 24 years old um i think i believe i saw that on twitter and i was kind of surprised i should probably double check that before mentioning on the podcast so i'm sure i'll hear from (laughs) listeners um not like he seems like I don't know. He seems like he's thirty, just maybe because he runs slow. But he was a, he was a starter uh, last year and did pretty well. Uh, and you know we have Bruce Arians now, the head coach there. The offense is going to be better. Um, so there is some opportunity here for running back. And the other question is Ronald Jones. Uh, the GM there said that he was the most impressive player, one of the most impressive players in spring training. Ronald Jones. Uh, I went back and looked at Kevin Zutluko's model from last year, and Jones came in as the second or third most likely uh, successful running back out of last year's draft class. So he was dreadful last year, averaged one point something yards per carry, um, was barely playing. Uh, so you you really want to see if he makes a big leap forward and it ends up uh, starting. Um, if that's the case, he's going to be a fantastic value because he's going in the tenth round. So I think you know as a tenth round, ninth, tenth round pick. You're kind of going off of last year's draft stock, and maybe he makes a big leap forward because there just really isn't a whole lot of competition in terms of his talent level on the roster. I mean, Barber's okay. Jacuzzi Rogers is okay. Andre Ellington at this stage in his career is okay. Uh, but none of them are like bona fide bell cow lead back type material right now in today's NFL. So uh, Ronald Jones is somebody I'm going to monitor closely this spring. By the way, Peyton Barber's 24. Uh, nice. Andre Ellington is 30 and Jaquiz Rogers is 29. So there's your ages for your Tampa Bay Buccaneer running backs. <laughs> uh, the Dolphins didn't draft a running back either until the seventh round. They have Kenyon Drake. They've got uh, Kalen Balage. They've got uh, the drafted Chandler Cox and then Miles Gaskin in the seventh round. Miles Gaskin was a running back at Washington that played all four years. So there's there's some tread on those tires. Uh, the Miami Dolphins running back situation, your thoughts? I think Kenyon Drake is, might be a, like a post-hype sleeper. Uh, again, and we'll see what the new coaching staff and the new regime thinks of him relative to Balazs. Uh, but he just wasn't utilized in a consistent manner by Adam Gase. And now Gase is gone. Do they do they start to feed Drake? Because he's a dual threat uh, guy. And if he's catching four to six passes a game and you know can get even 12 to 13 carries, you're looking at pretty good workloads. So we'll see if he's uh, the lead back in uh, camp and all that. Uh, his ADP has dropped significantly since since last year, due just due to what his usage and everything and his production last year. But he didn't really have that bad of a season when you look at his numbers. So that's a that's a camp battle we got to monitor. And, and the fact that they didn't draft a running back is is good for for for, for Drake for sure. It's also good in Indianapolis because your guy Marlon Mack is there. 
no running back that the Colts drafted, um, and then Jordan Wilkins. So the, the, the Indianapolis running back situation, at least right now, looks like it's going to stay the same as it was a year ago. Oh, yeah, and I should have mentioned uh, Naheem Hines on the rundown here, yeah. too, those three. I mean, Hines ends up being the, the kind of the passing down guy, but Mac was seeing a big workload when he was healthy, and I think that's going to continue. His stock certainly uh, rose a little bit with uh, the Colts ignoring the running back position in the draft. Jaguars did not draft a wide receiver. They still have D.D. Westbrook, Marquise Lee, Keelan Cole, D.J. Chark. Uh, they lost Dante Moncrief in free agency. Who who benefits from the fact that the Jaguars did not draft the receiver? Well, Westbrook's pretty good, and when Lee was healthy, he was seeing a good portion of the targets there. So, you know, I look at Westbrook and Lee as the likely starters there. Uh, Cole had his chance last year and really didn't grab it. I think Chark might you know end up being the third receiver there, and uh, you're looking at Westbrook, Lee, and Shark as the top three. Uh, they drafted a, a tight end, I believe. Uh, but you, you, the thing with the Jaguars that I think is maybe flying a little bit under the radar is that uh, after signing Nick Foles and you compare him to Blake Bortles, uh, I think Foles is going to, his per attempt passing numbers are going to be better, but he's also going to attempt a few more passes, not because the, not because the Jaguars are going to go pass heavy with Foles, but because he doesn't run the ball, he doesn't scramble like Bortles did. So you're whatever many um, scrambles Bortles ends up with, you cut that into a fifth or you know a sixth of those are going to be full scrambles, if that. And he's going to have another X number of passing attempts, and that's going to benefit all the, all these receivers. And then finally, the Bucks didn't draft a wide receiver until the sixth round, so it looks like Bruce Arians will, will work with the same wide receivers and tight end groups uh, that he had a, a year ago. And I would assume, well, the, I mean, the Bucks the Bucks offense was was pretty good a year ago, but with Bruce Arians, you know that there's going to be uh, a lot of passing, a lot of vertical concepts, and that that would scream good things for Mike Evans, who I know killed fantasy owners two years ago. Yeah, and I this is my opportunity to mention Chris Godwin for the 55th <laughs> time on this podcast. Like, like uh, Mike Evans should see an uptick and maybe ends up with 150 targets uh, this year. But Godwin is the primary beneficiary, I think. They're, they've also got Tim Patrick there who might uh, come in on three, uh, three receiver sets and push uh, Godwin to the slot, which I think is good for Godwin. Uh, so, you know, he, Godwin's a guy that I'm targeting and he's, his ADP has risen, uh, you know, seventh, sixth round getting into the fifth round, I think now. Um, but I think he's, you know, if you can get him in that fifth, sixth area, I think he's a good, he's a, he's a good pick. And, um, the fact that they didn't draft a receiver just means less competition. I think he's, his role is going to be, uh, uh, pretty stable this season. He's already been talked about as a, uh, potential hundred catch, player i don't know if that's i think that's overshooting it i think that's uh <laughs> a lot a little high on the estimation but um you know 80 catches 1200 yards maybe and he's definitely a factor in the red zone i think he could have a, a breakout season this year that's john paulson you can follow him on twitter at four for four underscore john you can follow me as well if you're so inclined at anthony stalter uh this has been the four for four.com the most accurate podcast draft edition John, I'm assuming we are going to circle back probably around training camp time ahead of preseason. What do you think? Well, we're, we usually do a, a pod after I release projections, and that will probably be – our initial projections probably be out in two to three weeks. So I think uh, we, we will be hitting back in about a month to talk about you know maybe each position, a uh, podcast for a position or a podcast for every two positions and uh, talk about the rankings a little bit uh, – because some guys are going to jump out that I'm not thinking of right now as values uh, as I as I put the projections together because I got to start divvying up all these stats to all these different players and uh, eventually guys emerge that you weren't sort of expecting and right. um, you compare that with ADP and all of a sudden you have a list of value players so uh, I think we're looking at that in probably a month. There you have it. All right, we'll uh, we'll continue to retweet this podcast. It was an hour long, a lot of really good information there. Hope you enjoyed it. Normally our podcasts are around twenty to thirty five minutes or so, uh, but again, hope you enjoyed kind of the long form today for John Paulson. I'm Anthony Salter. We'll see you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast.